Greetings, folks, and welcome to episode 21 of the Far Beyond Metal podcast. I'm your host and spirit guide on this metal journey, Daniel Cordova. In this episode, Herman Lee of Dragon Force discusses his first band, and I recommend Haunted by Silhouettes. Before all that, I welcome my first repeat guest of sorts in David Wu of Cyborg Octopus. David was featured as a guest recommending Raiju on episode 7 of this podcast, and Cyborg Octopus was the first band I recommended on episode 1. Since then, Cyborg Octopus and David himself have both exploded. Cyborg has signed with Ape Whale and has since completed their first legitimate tour, which we discuss in this interview, by the way. David himself has launched the popular metal and comedy YouTube channel Riff Shop, which is known for both serial and driving stick explained using death metal. So before we kick things off with David, here's some of Data Minefield from Cyborg Octopus's debut album Learning to Breathe. start off with uh, Cyborg Octopus. Uh, listeners may recognize the name or recognize your name from a couple past episodes. You were the very first recommendation on the show. And then episode, I believe it was seven, you came on and did a recommendation of your own. Uh, recommending Raiju. I want to thank you for both of those things. And then, you know, in a way, welcome you back to Far Beyond Metal. Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to be on. Uh, and I, I've did some research like i've listened to the band quite a bit just based on you know you initially introducing me to uh learning to breathe and some other stuff people showed me but i've never done like full-on research into your band and i discovered something i really like in the bio on your facebook which is a constant um push for open-mindedness uh what initially inspired the open-mindedness of the band and uh especially in a uh a genre where metal can be something that's not as open-minded as cyborg is um i think that i would i would have to boil down uh, the desire for open-mindedness just to the jaded nature of all the people involved in cyborg octopus um can you hear me absolutely can okay sweet so yeah no um i feel like as uh people who've listened pretty much exclusive to the metal for the past like 10 years all of us in the band are at some in some ways or another very jaded to the current state of metal you know the bands that are coming out the sounds that are coming out of literally hundreds and thousands of bands that uh i think just our frustration with the genre has just like led us to want to really kind of break away from that and kind of make a statement against the, whole, the genre as a whole and where did the name come from because name's super rad well, uh, a funny story about the name. Um, well, because Cyborg Octopus, uh, the name for that originated because we were uh, 
playing an RPG. Um, all of us in the band, we were playing an RPG. And then, you know, I picked an octopus character. And then another uh, person in our band, uh, George, he actually picked a, uh, a uh, anime girl. And then so, of course, us being the anime nerds that we are, we tried our best to recreate like a hentai scene via RPG. And uh, somehow those elements combined and we were just like, you know what, Cyborg Octopus, that's just, that's what it's got to be. So this is like something similar to D&D, but not d and I'm assuming. Uh, RPG is, I think it stands for something, something role-playing game. Right. It's like Final Fantasy uh, and Chrono, Chrono Trigger. I don't know if you've any, played any of those games before. Okay. I, I've, I know of them. I've not played, but cool. Oh, okay. Well, nerdy shit. <laughs> Speaking of some of the nerdy shit, I, I know you guys like to occasionally project some hentai on, behind you guys when you play. You have a pillow that shows up in a lot of the cyborg octopus um, um, social media stuff. And I have to ask as a fan and a viewer of all that, what? <laughs> um, yeah, no. Um, well, we typically try and uh, go, we pretty much go for shock value for uh, all of our shows. Just uh but in our own unique way. And as the majority of us in our band are anime nerds, we like to display that. Um, whereas other bands, you know, they try to do the whole, like, you know, gory, um, grotesque imagery. We, we like to go uh, the hentai route. So I think the, the body pillow is an embodiment of that. And um, the projector that you're talking about, that actually was a very recent occurrence that happened on tour. Um, we played a venue in Nelson and then we we're just like, Hey, they have a projector. So then I was like, I had the idea. I was like, okay, well I'll make like a, I have my laptop here. I'm going to make like a slideshow of just a random hentai images I could find off Google and, uh, we'll plop our logo on that and that will rotate while we're playing. So that's a fairly recent occurrence. Is that going to be a constant at your shows now? You bring your own, uh, projector? Uh, well, it's, it's writer? dependent. It's dependent up upon uh, the venue. I mean, like we're, I, don't know, I mean, I guess we could, but uh, I, we haven't thought that far ahead. And you said it's dependent on the venue. I've also seen some of your uh, shows. I've unfortunately not witnessed you guys live in person yet, but uh, I've seen a lot of uh, your bodies, let's just say. Um, have you ever had <laughs> venues, promoters, anybody complain about some of your antics? Because you're a rather rowdy bunch. Uh, well, not that we know of. I mean, and um, I mean, I think that they're probably just too in shock to really even know how to respond to it. So, um, I mean, because we're definitely not violent. Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Up to this point, I think everybody's been fairly chill with our nudity. <laughs> You're like the uh, G.G. Allen, hopefully, well, for now, minus the scatological side of things, I guess. Yeah. Well, actually, we've been called a, what, somebody, I remember an article somewhere, they called us, like, tech bro reincarnations of, like, David Lee Roth or something like that. And I was like, okay, I can, I can take that. That's pretty cool. Can you do a jump and splits? Um, yeah. I need to typically warm up prior hand, prior beforehand, but I can manage a jump and splits. That's fair. Um, my initial introduction to the band was through, uh, I don't remember if it was one of the guys from Flub or one of the guys from Sound Soul, but I posted a Facebook status whining that there was not enough saxophone in heavy metal. Uh, how did you guys come to introduce saxophone into your sound? 
Um, so the way that I compose is that I, I compose first on um, either tablet or guitar pro without any regard to actually being able to pull off the music that I write. Um, and so one of our earlier songs in, a, in our EP uh, that came out before anybody really cared about us is that uh, we had a uh, saxophone solo in one of them. And then um, fortunately, I had a friend named Patrick who played sax. And then so, you know, we had him right onto the studio and track his parts. And then later on, you know, after he played a show with us in the band, he was like, you know, I can play keyboards as well. And then so naturally, because he was just like so cool and he was down to do all these things for us, we inducted him to the band. And then uh, so his saxophone became more just a part of our sound because, you know, we had that resource. And you're referring to the Primordial EP, which you guys can find out on uh, Bandcamp, I believe. Uh, or is this pre that? No, actually, yeah, it was, it was pre that. Um, I don't even think we had a name for this EP. I think it was like just like EP 2013 or something like that. Like we, <laughs> it was it was just like two songs, but uh, it was on this song called "The Fetus," and that's the first time that you'll hear saxophone um, uh, in Cyborg Octopus. And then that kind of brings us up to the uh, full-length album, "Learning to Breathe." It's your full-length uh, record. The way you said you write, you do it through uh, guitar. Uh, what the hell is the name of it again? Uh, Guitar Pro or Guitar Tabit? Pro. I'm assuming you wrote the whole thing through uh, Guitar Pro and Tabit then. Um, how long did it take you to write Learning to Breathe? Well, it's kind of a funny story with that because uh, the entirety of the album probably took about three months to write, but I finished the second half of it within 30 days just because I gave myself a challenge. I was like, you know what? I'm going to write every single day on this uh, minimum 30 minutes uh, a day and then I was very systematic upon my, my approach for writing the, the album so uh, yeah three three years total but the the last the second half of it happened all in the last 30 days what was your system um, my 30-day system that I talked about okay yes uh, well I think it was pretty open-ended I mean I think the main point was just to get myself into a habit of writing so that um, for a couple of reasons first because a I feel like if you work on something consecutive days, then your progress towards it becomes really exponential because, you know, there's no drop off. You're not like taking a complete break from it and just like forgetting where you left off. And B, I felt that uh, I just think that when you are in that mode, I just feel like um, I I feel like you, you don't it's like you don't have to do a lot of restarting. Because like if if you were to take too many breaks from writing, then you know I feel like there would, every time you got back into it, you'd have to like you know kind of relearn where you were and kind of get into a similar headspace and then try and go there. Uh, and then so I didn't really have any of that going on, so I could just like work on it and just really consistently work on it and just like hammer it out. Does learning to breathe have a concept throughout, or is it just sort of a collection of songs? Um, well, it's kind of funny because I actually. I made it a point to be try my best and make it counterculture and make it not a concept album because I feel like a lot of bands are like, oh yeah, let's write concept albums. And I just, you know, I have a thing for being counterculture, so I tried very hard not to make that happen. But uh, after we kind of saw the songs side by side, there was kind of like a clear progression with the exception of like one or two songs. There's like a very clear progression, at least to us, of, of a story that was being told 
And that story pretty much centers around our, our vocalist, Ian. Uh, he had like a, a life-changing acid trip. And prior to that, I guess, I guess things in his life weren't going that great. And, um, you know, he had an acid trip. And that acid trip is um, spoken about in the song Disco Brain. And then afterwards, uh, you know, he came, he came out from the experience being, you know, a more enlightened individual. And that, what, that is what the song Epiphany is about. So yes, it's a concept album, despite my best best efforts for it not to be. It's funny because if it were, there'd be songs on the album that I would suspect not be part of the concept, Disco Brain would be one of them to me. That and maybe Shark Pit. So Disco Brain is kind of the crux of the entire album, then. Yeah, it's pretty much the the climax. And for uh, listeners, I will drop in a sample of that one, but it is a very disco funk inspired one. What were some uh, bands that you wanted to channel on that one? Um, I think that there's a band, uh, there's a band called Dr. Acula. I don't, I know that they're, they're probably not well respected in circles of, a uh, musical elitism, but, uh, Dr. Acula helped kind of channel that weird, like kind of disregard for, uh, for, I guess a lot of conventional rules in serious music that helped a lot. Um, I think, uh, Dillinger Escape Plan helped, helped out a lot. There's, I think one song of theirs uh milk lizard where they had some horns and then that helped inspire the horns in a disco brain and um yeah it all just kind of came together in like a a melting pot of inspiration and stupidity and disco brain was birthed dude i've not heard the name dr acula in years i'm i'm yeah. trying to find i'm looking at the album i know i had and i can't find the song that i used to play by them all the time well, I've got something to do after this interview then and track that yeah, song and, I don't know, just be nostalgic as fuck. Was it uh, Let's Get Invisible? I don't think so. I thought it was on Slander and I'm looking at the track listing and it doesn't look like it is. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, no, I, they're, they're cool. They have a special place in my, in my heart. I've got some of those, like uh, Dr. Acular was one, if I could figure out the song, like Horse the Band is one I really liked. Uh, yeah. <laughs> What is the other one? Uh, name. Yeah. I used to really like oh, Name. Oh, yeah. They slowed okay, down a yeah, lot. No, they're I, I they're still... local. What's up? Yeah, no, no, Name's local. Yeah, they are. Uh, like Wes and them, they're probably your general neck of the woods. Yeah. Um, so coming back to the uh, the band a bit, how has signing with Ape Whale opened uh, doors for you guys or changed anything with the band? Uh, well, I think it's since it's our first time being exposed to having management outside of the band, I think naturally we're very uh, DIY. So, uh, and I mean, like I, the industry has changed, but uh, it, it's helped us out in a lot because it's, you know, it's introduced us to the most, most importantly, I guess the way that touring is supposed to be typically done because part of that we did touring ourselves and it it wasn't really uh, satisfying because we didn't really have a, a booking agent or anything like that but our label so steve and eileen who run that label they really helped get us in contact with the right people to uh, send us off on our first legitimate tour and so that was really successful and that was the one you guys just wrapped up a couple weeks ago yeah correct with uh, inanimate existence and um a reaping asmodea yeah how was that tour compared to other ones? Because you said you were able to do it more legitimately. What's different now than it was then? Um, I think, first off, this one, uh, less shows were dropped. And uh, they were better promoted. Um, we had guarantees. And um, 
Yeah, it was, it was over. And also, um, these, this is the first time that we went, out, we went out with bands that were bigger than us. So they had a better idea of, you know, how things went as opposed to, you know, previous touring packages where it kind of felt like it was like the blind leading the blind. And uh, what is next for Cyborg Octopus? I know you just got off a tour, but, you know, you're in a band. You always got to look forward. That's how the whole thing works, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, the probably the next thing is just writing. I mean, we have about like three songs kind of in the bank, but um, yeah, just writing and hopefully putting out something that doesn't completely suck, I guess. Do you really think that's a possibility? Of putting out something that sucks? Yeah. How, like, how much uh, cutting room floor stuff do you have for Cyborg Octopus that just you don't think is ever going to see the light of day? Um, that's a good question. I think that um, there's probably about like for every release that we've put out, there's probably only been like one song that didn't make it. I mean, typically my writing process is very, um, it's, it's almost, it's, I, I think I've said this before on like some interview or something where I feel like songwriting is about like 20% inspiration, 80% having a good process. So I feel like the approach for, that we take with songwriting is very systematic and it's, it's more of a system of checks and balances and, you know, different like litmus tests that we use in order to determine whether or not, you know, this song works or this particular riff works that I think because we, I do, uh, because you know, this, our way of doing things has been uh, pretty consistent and hasn't failed us so far. I mean, like, I, I feel like we'll continue to use it. And um, it, it's more of a matter of, uh, you know, how long it will take versus, you know, if the the album will be up to our standards. But um, but I don't know. that The system could fail us this time. And, you know, we could put out something that totally sucks and we'll be blindsided by its crappiness. Who knows? some of Disco Brain from Learning to Breathe by Cyborg Octopus. For more Cyborg Octopus, head to facebook.com slash cyborgoctopus and cyborgoctopus.bandcamp.com. I'll have more with David shortly, but first, this is my first band. Every musician has to start somewhere, and in this episode, Herman Lee of Dragon Force discusses his heavy metal origins. Uh, the first band I was, it was called Power Gone Insane, and it was a thrash metal band. Uh, power gun insane yeah gone insane uh could you listen to that band now without cringing i think i'll find it funny actually um i it's i find that pretty hilarious to hear it and maybe i have a tape somewhere i i have a tape of dragon force first rehearsal that's pretty funny i thought <laughs> is yeah. that something you guys might ever put out as some like 
fan exclusive sort of deal? <laughs> Not sure how exclusive this is. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it actually still sounds like the same song. I mean, we played them, you know, we played them, I think the first song and it's on the first album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, badly, obviously, played. Herman and the rest of Dragon Force are currently touring the U.S. to promote their latest record, Reaching Into Infinity. For dates and other information, head to dragonforce.com. Now, here's the conclusion of my interview with David Wu. In this portion, we discuss Riff Shop, his comedic metal YouTube channel known for many hilarious and informative music videos, like the one for this song, and this song is Serial Explained Using Death Metal. So listeners may know you from Cyborg Octopus and as the face of a majority of the thumbnails for the Riff Shop videos, but I know there's a <laughs> partner you have in those videos. Who is your partner? Uh, my partner is, uh, his name is Harshit Goel. And how did you guys uh, meet and come together to make Riff Shop? Um, so we met, we were just kind of like through mutual friends and um, pretty much we... Uh, Let's see, what is the story? I was not prepared for this specific question, so let me try and recount. Um, yeah, no, so, um, so yeah, no, we were, I guess, just fans of a lot of different YouTube channels, and we noticed that there was, you know, there was some, there was kind of like a whole missing in terms of, like, musician YouTubers. Like, I felt like there's the, there's the Jared Dines, there's, like, the Steve Terraberries, uh, but I felt like, there wasn't somebody that really came at it from like a band perspective that, that had maybe the similar experiences that I did. And, um, Harshit is kind of who I'd like to credit as being like the logical side of riff shop. And he helps me kind of, uh, you know, build out web pages, you know, and think about in terms of like business direction, like where we want to take riff shop. So that, that the answer to the question is a little all over the place, but, um, that is our background. And a lot of your videos are comedic, but some, you know, also uh, educational in a way and informative. Uh, do you guys have any comedic backgrounds, like any improv, uh, comedy sort of stuff, or are you just kind of just naturally cute, funny guys? Well, <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like uh, we, 
I feel like just generally like a lot of dudes, just their way of communicating and like socializing is through humor. So I feel like uh, from an early age, I feel like a lot of guys just naturally have this talent or this knack for just cracking jokes, funny or not. And so the video, the Rishat video is more or less is just us communicating our brand humor. So if other people find it funny, that's awesome. But I feel there's a lot of instances where we're not that funny. <laughs> Uh, how does a video come to be start to finish? Say, like, how did um, uh, Driving Stick Death Metal come together? Uh, well, so uh, prior to that, we released our video titled A Metal Song About Serial, and that video did pretty well. I think something like 2 million views, um, which up until that point, that was our biggest video. Um, but I, I was thinking, like, you know, how do I differentiate ourselves from you know, the psycho sticks of the world, you know, the, the tons of others of, you know, joke metal hybrids. Well, then I was like, you know what, I, I feel like one thing that I could do is that I can, you know, perhaps give more value to the world by actually teaching them things. So in addition to being metal, in addition to being comedic, you know, viewers ideally would walk away with something extra that you know they may, may or may not have known uh, prior to viewing our video. And it was just kind of like, our little way, our little quirky way of giving back to the world. And so uh, I guess I recently had uh, traded my car from an automatic to stick shift, and I was like, you know what? This is really frustrating for me. I'm going to make a song about that. Had you not driven stick before this new car? Uh, no, I have not. <laughs> I, I really have need you? to dive deep Are on the video. Are you a stick driver? No, I, I can't. I need to study with your video and then actually try. I'm looking into minis. So I could probably <laughs> get a, a legit mini and get a manual, but I'm scared. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, um, I think it's one of those things where, um, despite me trying my best to articulate exactly how to like, you know, drive stick shift, it's, um, it's, it's something that you need to just kind of acquire a feeling for. So, uh, I guess if anything, use our videos as like a starter guide and then the rest of it, you kind of just have to figure out on your own. My friend and I went on a road trip just out of high school, and we went to Cleveland to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because my favorite band of all time is Black Sabbath, and they just got inducted that year. So we were driving, and he asked me if I wanted to go ahead and drive, and I looked over and he had a stick, and I'd never driven stick before. So we pulled over into a parking lot, and he tried to teach me, and he just got so frustrated by the exact same thing he said about feel, and you know how to feel it. And he'd been driving stick for, I don't know, fucking like six years, well, high school, so two or three years on and off illegally. But uh, yeah, he just got frustrated yeah. and that was my real only attempt at driving stick. And is that parking lot in probably Nevada somewhere? Notice. Yeah. Well, that, that sounds pr pretty, pretty typical. Um, I think the way that I did it was that like, um, I kind of like threw myself into the fire where, um, so I, I kind of made a trade with my stepdad where it's like, okay, so I'll trade in my, my automatic for this newer stick shift. And then, the next day I took it on the highway and then I like drove to work, which is without, you know, without my, uh, the troubles that driving manual would bring on that drive would normally be about an hour. So I, <laughs> I drove an hour on the freeway, um, stalling <laughs> and pissing everybody off. And, uh, yeah, that, that was my first real exposure to driving stick shift. That almost seems like an, a more efficient way than having uh, another teenager yell at you in a parking lot. Yeah, but it's more efficient and like three times as more is humiliating. So <laughs> if you're looking to achieve 
achieve those two things, then yeah, do what I did. <laughs> um, how has the channel changed for you since dropping Do Girls Find Metal Musicians Attractive? Do you, get, um, do you ever like, get recognized? I know being like recognized in a metal community is still like a smaller community that's not exactly fame, but have you been recognized from uh, Rift Shop? Um, yeah, I've, I've been recognized. Um, I mean, I've been recognized in rip, typically in metal circles, not really on the street yet. Um, uh, yeah, and to answer your earlier question, yeah, our channel directions has changed drastically numerous amounts of times since our first video, which was, you know, do metal, wait, what is it? Do girls find metal heads attractive? Um, yeah, no, because it's just like video content is really, it's just a whole different beast than, um, you know, being in a band. Um, in video content, particularly YouTube, it's all about kind of like finding out the best video format that works for you. And so we tried first interviews. So we did, you know, do girls find metalheads attractive? Then we, we did kind of more social experiment stuff where, you know, I played metal on the streets and tried to see, you know, how much money I could make. Um, and then I did kind of more your run of the mill advice videos where I kind of like break down a concept and I try my best to, you know, teach it to the viewer. Uh, and those videos were all great for what it was worth, but nothing really resonated with the sheer volume of people like our music videos did. So that's where we are now. And, um, yeah, that's where we'll continue on for at least a little bit. Has the success of any particular video surprised you? Uh, yes, serial and uh, stick shift because um, so both of those surpassed a million views, um, you know, two million, six million. And, uh, so those were, in my definition, I, I would consider those viral. And both of those included harsh screaming, you know, blast beats, breakdowns, and stuff that would not be considered mainstream at all. So I think it definitely surprised me about you know how something so fundamentally counterculture could resonate with that many people and get shared that many times. So I would say for sure those uh, two videos definitely surprised me. And here's a bit of a moment to brag for you. What are some of the craziest outlets or people or, or anything that have shared your videos that just kind of made you shit yourself? Um, Esquire magazine. Esquire. Yeah. <laughs> Esquire magazine has uh, shared our stuff. Um, I don't know, like, I, I don't follow the automotive industry at all, but, like, apparently a pretty good car blog shared our stuff, and, um, let's see, um, oh, yeah, we got into the front page of Reddit, which is kind of cool. Kind of a big deal for your internet, folks. Yeah. So, since you got shared by Esquire, do you, like, know John Hamm now or something? Can can you give me his number? I just want to hang out with him. I just saw Baby Driver. I thought it was rad. I don't even know who that is, but you know who John I can Hamm do my is? best. No, who's that? He's just like this very manly. He's like the the lead of Mad Men. And he's just like this very just attractive uh, man in his forties that just kind of. When I think Esquire, he's the <laughs> he's like the face of it. He's like kind of a Clooney type, I guess. But uh, yeah, he's just been in some oh, movies and okay. some shows and shit. And he's just like a a funny guy who's on podcasts and stuff. And he seems like a fun dude to hang out with. Oh, got it. Yeah, no, uh, not yet. I mean, hopefully. Maybe I can make another video that resonates and then he'll hit me up and, I don't know, want to collab or something like that. Then you but, just do a video uh, yeah, no. about Mad Men. Yeah. Well, funny thing is, like, although we got featured on Esquire, we didn't necessarily get well-received on Esquire, mainly because <laughs> I think that uh, their their demographic doesn't necessarily resonate with our content. So, yeah. 
So now that you're doing videos like this, uh, you said hopefully as a, as a career, I, I'm assuming you're getting some internet backlash. Have you encountered any funny, mean comments or responses that you read? Because I know you're not supposed to read comments and stuff, but everyone does. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm definitely too vain to not read comments. Um, well, I, the internet helped me realize that I have really shitty eyebrows. So since then, I've just been like, okay, well, I, I got this going for me, shitty eyebrows. <laughs> so... Um, <laughs> how fucking petty that is of like internet just like oh man this guy's eyebrows yeah. i got you yeah so uh at first i was like i was like okay well maybe it's just like one person but it's like a, a common recurring thing where the internet will will hate on my eyebrows so um but uh if anything i think that that's a good thing because that's just more things for people to engage with their videos with so kind of like uh i guess diamond in the rough Cut to a video of you doing how to manicure your eyebrows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you guys have yeah. done serial HTML coding, driving stick, and a lot more. Uh, anything you can tease coming up on the channel, or are you hoping it's all just going to be a surprise? Um, well, when is, this, uh, when is this going to be released? Uh, likely going to put this out later this week, hoping Thursday at the latest. Okay, well then, if... For listeners um, out on Thursday, then you know that we've just released our uh, How to Write a Resume Using Death Metal. And um, share that shit, I guess. Please. When, a vid yeah. when the video comes out, I'll, I'll <laughs> share it on the, the uh, Far Beyond Metal page and as much as that's worth. Because I think Rip Shop's much bigger than Far Beyond Metal, but still. It's worth a shot. <laughs> every, every little bit counts. Exactly. Every little bit counts. I know that you're doing these sort of things. Do you get people suggesting you do videos a lot? Yeah, we do. We do. Um, I know that uh, we've gotten, um, I think we, we've done like how to talk, or one thing that people are requesting is like how to talk to girls using metal. <laughs> and that's something that I would love to do a video on. I just haven't gotten around to doing that. Um, and we've done, uh, I guess we've, people have recommended, um, uh, I don't know. What would you like to see, Daniel? Can you teach me how the Illuminati works? The Illuminati works. <laughs> the whole uh, lizard well, people concept and how like it all controls the government, but then how like certain things play into. I don't. I don't get it. I don't buy it. But I'm really curious. Fascinated by it. I, I could teach you, but then I'd have to kill you. That's fair. Then it's confirmed. <laughs> Triangles everywhere, etc. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, what is your favorite cereal? Uh, my favorite cereal is actually like, I'm the type of person when it comes to cereal where I look not for the flavor, but I look at like the nutritional, the nutritional contents. And then if it just has like a bunch of vitamins in the back, like that, like at like a hundred, 200%, then I'll be like, all right, this is it. Regardless of how good or bad it tastes. So I'm, I'm pretty much that boring guy. You know, it's fair. Like you gotta eat your fiber and stuff like that. All that stuff's important, but you don't, yeah. get, the, you don't get the cool prize in the box about Oh yeah, that's right. Well, yeah. Instead of that, I get like healthy feels, and I feel a little. I feel marginally better about myself, even though cereal's not like that crazy healthy. <laughs> all right, man. Thank you for being on the show, and you know all your help with contributing the beginning of it and all the stuff. And you know, I look forward to whatever you've got Absolutely. coming no, up next with Cyborg Rift Shop, everything, yeah. and congrats on all the success. Yeah, there. no, it. it in a lot of ways, I, I feel like I can credit a lot of uh, Cyborg's, um, you know, success to you because, you know, you were one of the first people to really kind of be like, hey, this band doesn't suck too bad. 
and you know, I know that you posted a couple articles about us on metal injection. So I want to take the time to personally thank you, Aww. you know, for all your work because you know, as somebody in a band who's you know struggling to make it, um, you know, it's people like you, blog writers, the you know, the podcast creators um, that really. Um, make the difference so thank you very much daniel of course you know man you, you were in a band that's really unique and special and that's kind of what tickles my fancy i i get people reaching out all the time and it's just another band that sounds like cannibal corpse or something and I, i'm i'm glad you don't <laughs> so I, I actually have a question for you is um and i think i might have asked you this before is like how because as somebody who's listened to a fraction of the music that you do because you know you're a blog writer uh how jaded are you to new music I am jaded to straight-up genres, and by that I mean if a death metal band comes out, everyone is shitting themselves over it, and they just sound like a classic OG death metal band, but they're doing it really well, I'm really bored by it. Or Thrash. Thrash is one I really struggle with. Think like There are great bands that are like Power Trip and Havoc, that, and all these bands that are technically incredibly proficient musicians that people love, and I just... I don't get it because I've heard Annihilator a thousand times. I've heard all these sort of bands just do this. Or like um, how many Black Sabbath clones there are out there who are just playing like sludgy, slow stuff that's just blues, blues based. I, I can't hang with that. So in a way, I am really, I really am kind of jaded, but I'm able to, uh, I'm still able to articulate what works about it and appreciate it from a distance rather than, you know, diving in. That's, that's kind of why I'm so, uh, like geared towards Prague and the stuff I love talking about, love covering, just because it's fucking different and it's weird. And I kind of see the guys that are, you know, rolling up and just looking for the heaviest heavy thing. And then I'm like, but guys, this has a, a harpsichord in it for no reason. Isn't that rad? <laughs> Check out this. It has a hurdy gurdy. If I can find a band with a hurdy gurdy, I'm talking about that band with a hurdy gurdy. Well, okay. Well, can you define a hurdy gurdy? I'm unfamiliar with this musical terminology. A hurdy gurdy is this weird folk instrument from like the Scandinavian areas, and it's just like this strange box that you kind of play like an accordion, but rather than pushing it back and forth, you turn this like crank. And I don't know if it works then like a music box or if it's like uh, kind of like generates wind or something. I really should do research on how they work, but I haven't. And it just makes this really strange noise. And I covered a band that plays it on weekly injection maybe two, three weeks ago. And I just said the word hurdy-gurdy over and over because it's not in metal. Yeah, that, that sounds like I thought when you said that, that, that was a word that you just literally made up as like the... <laughs> Like a placeholder, like it, like like a widget or something like that. No, I unfortunately don't really have things like that for for metal bands. I guess you could say like widdly widdly or wanking or something, but no, nah, hurdy gurdy yeah. is like a straight up <laughs> yeah. instrument. Cool. I'll I'll have to, I'll look forward to incorporating that on the next cyborg or riff shop video. <laughs> yeah, look for it in like the deep cuts of like the uh, sound pools in uh, Tab Pro. <laughs> it's probably in there. <laughs> will do that's awesome all right sir well enjoy the rest of uh, your songwriting today and uh have a good one man yeah you too thanks
Riff Shop can be found at youtube.com slash riff shop and facebook.com slash riff shop academy. I'd like to thank David for being a part of the show for the third time in a way and for being a constant supporter of it. And uh, I know the, the feeling is mutual that he is a fan of mine and I'm a fan of his. And I like to be able to promote my friends in doing this show. And uh, yeah, so I highly recommend Cyborg Octopus and everything David Wu touches, including himself. I like to end every episode with a recommendation, and in this episode, I am presenting you Haunted by Silhouettes. Haunted by Silhouettes are a melodic death metal band from Norway. They just released an EP called Wrath of Koran, which you can find on Amazon, iTunes, and most other digital outlets. From that EP, here is Numbered Days. <laughs> by silhouettes including their new ep wrath of koran that's spelled k-h-a-r-o-n head to facebook.com slash haunted by silhouettes i'd like to thank you for listening to this year episode 21 of the far beyond metal podcast uh, if you want to reach out to me you can do so over at facebook.com slash far beyond metal 
I'm on Twitter at Ovacord, or you can email me at farbeyondmetaldan at gmail.com. And as always, the theme song is Far Beyond Metal by Strapping Young Lad, from their album The New Black, courtesy of Century Media Records and Devin Townsend himself. Thanks for listening. Catbox Production.